Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bash Bros Podcast. That's right. My name is Brad Nelson, and today I'm joined by my brother from another mother, Corey BMTG. How's it going, bro? What's up, Brad? You know, not too bad, man. I'm just uh, relaxing on this fine Wednesday night. That is wonderful. I, I can finally relax because I just got excused from jury duty. Woo! They did not want a professional magic player's opinion on a court case? They did not want me. They did not know I played magic. I guess maybe they did. Whatever, it doesn't matter. It was a fun story, and I do want to bring it up. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, it was a really cool story, so I'm definitely going to get into that. So for anyone, uh, the first you know segment of this episode is going to be non-magic related, just so you know. Uh, but before that, we have to introduce our special guest because this is a court-related episode, we needed to bring a master debater onto the show, and that is none other than Brian Brondoon. How's it going, BBD? Oh, it's going great. It's going swimmingly, I should say. Yeah, um, you say that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> is your basement flooded again? Uh, I wouldn't say it's my basement that's flooded, but oh, yes. Oh, just your pants. Okay. Oh, what? What was that? <laughs> I said just your just your pants that's flooded. Excuse me. I'm not wearing pants, Corey. So no. <laughs> oh, it's all right. It's all right. Wow, I'm the bad. lies have started already, and sorry. I guess it, it falls upon me, the master debater, to counter these lies with truth, truth and justice. So <laughs> I know you're pretty good from experience at uh, debating the hard facts. I, I I've seen it firsthand. Yeah, actually, both of you did just recently uh, go on to. The They Said, We Said, run by John Dunning, uh, and you debated against the Masters of Modern podcast. Um, yep. I was stuck in jury duty, so I wasn't able to attend this. But uh, did we win? Yeah, Brad, you know, I mean, I know you weren't able to join us, so we were not the bridesmaids this time. We actually took it down. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow That's that just is, mean. That is brutal. That <laughs> is sorry. brutal. Sorry, I debated not saying it, but it was too good. You did what? You debated yeah. not saying <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> All right, so for anyone that doesn't know, you can go to uh, They Said, We Said YouTube and find the debate. Now, the Masters of Modern fought off against one of the, ba the Bash Bro plus special guest yep. in a five-segment debate about magic and Star Wars. Now, yeah. when I heard that <laughs> was going to happen... I didn't like our odds because I was pretty sure Corey's never seen a Star Wars. Never yeah, Brad, tell Brad, me the odds, Brad. Never tell me. Brad, I will lie to you, though. I lied when I said I've never seen Star Wars. Do you remember rooming with Jake Van Lunen and Chris Lockman when he watched Star Wars like four times? That's the only Star Wars I watched. Wow, that is that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you guys still took it down, and the Masters of Modern turned into the Masters of Mumblers. <laughs> yeah, as they bit. got crushed. They are cool dudes, though. I got to say, they were. Uh, it was, yeah, it was they, a fun they, thing to be a part of. They were. They were. They were actually uh, pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And they they actually did really well too. They may yeah. have outdebated us, but we ended out on top. So, you know, yeah. sc scoreboard. So. Yeah, I have to say, though, I really had no idea when it came to the Star Wars stuff. I just, like, tried to incorporate magic into all the topics as much as I could and just hope the renowning facts from magic would uh, outweigh the 
zero knowledge I had on Star Wars. Yeah, it didn't seem like you knew a lot of facts about magic either, but you still pulled it through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would have been proud, Brad. I wasn't. Actually, <laughs> the, the parts I watched, I was not proud of. Corey, right, I want to say... Don't be so hard on BBD, Brad. Uh, <laughs> Brad, uh, Corey, I do want to say that I am. I was actually extremely proud of one thing, <laughs> is that you said DePaula's name correctly. Thank you. Thank Instead you. I of that... saying DePilla... <laughs> Which I had to listen to for years. Yeah, well, honestly, BBD, all of that training came to flourishion at that very moment. Nice. And you know what? I think DePaula was the start of our just of our of our victory. Definitely it started the engines. Home. Yeah. Of our, progress. Brad, the debate was what who would be the best driver as a magic card? I said to Paula, and they're like, you don't want somebody to drive that fast. I was like, you're literally driving a spaceship. Of course you want to be able to go fast. That's yeah, what I mean, I mean, I mean, how are you going to beat Han Solo's record? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we figured out Teferi Time Reveler to beat him by accelerating and slowing down time. So we next leveled, but. That, that's great. All right. So if you do want to find that, you can find, they said, we said on YouTube, and that's going to be their most recent hit, that, that one. Um. And for future ones, for future debates, I think that because we won that, we might have to end up debating again. So we will let you know when that happens. Hopefully I can jump in on that one. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, but uh, before we get into the rest of the show, I just want everyone to know for a few announcements on the show and otherwise, you can find this podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We also have a Patreon at patreon.com. If you would like to support the show, you can do so there. Now for this episode, we're mostly going to be talking about standard. Standard has been shaking up a lot and Corey has been playing a lot more than Brian and I, I have been playing limited and, Oh, it's so uh, fun and doing jury duty for the last few days. So I haven't actually gotten a chance to play any standard. Also, you know, the next tournament's pioneer for me. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I do want to actually talk about jury duty because it's the first time I ever did it. And I thought it was like an actually really interesting process. And, you know, not everyone has done this before. So um, have either of you ever done jury duty? No, I have, but it was in child court when I had to do so from getting a minor. <laughs> from getting a minor, a mi- you guys don't know what a minor is. Just when you, I know what a minor you- is. This a guy. Well, who no, you weren't extract. How did you do jury duty? It was it was like for teen court, and that was part of the punishment. Is you had to sit for teen court for like I don't know twelve hours or something. Interesting. It hmm. was interesting. But no, I haven't done any uh, any actual jury duty. Okay. All right. So I've never done it. I didn't know what to expect. I was hoping, you know, not the worst, like that, like I would be stuck there for like multiple weeks and I wouldn't get any testing or even be able to play in the players tour and all that. But none of that actually happened. But it was a crazy experience. So it starts off with uh, going there in the morning. There's about 170 of, a, of us and we all got like, showing this video of like, you know, doing our civic duty. And, and they talked about like biases and subconscious biases and all this stuff. And in the videos, it was like thanking us for doing our civic duty. And the whole time I was like, and it had this music that honestly, I swear that like, was it Captain America thanking you? (laughs) Effectively it was, but the music and the tone and all of it and the understanding that they were thanking me for doing like this, age old honor system that but if i don't do it i would get a misdemeanor <laughs> that i felt straight out of hunger games 
like everything. Like I almost feel like someone that did jury duty, like that also worked on, on game of Thrones, like built that into the world. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. It just, it all felt so dystopian because of course this is our system. Yeah. It might be a little outdated cause we've been doing it the same way for like 200 years or more. Um, but like everything about the introduction just felt like, you know, no one wanted to be there. Everyone was technically forced to be there, but you know, it, they made it seem like we were volunteers. There isn't volunteers for jury duty ever. It's always forced. It's, to so, there. so how it works for anyone that doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Is, also, can you talk about all this? Yes. Um. I. I. For for sure. Also, I can talk about specifics now that I'm out. I couldn't oh, okay. if I was part of the jury until I the, just wasn't sure how that worked until the case concluded. Yeah. I mean, everything's public record mm. um, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, 170 people show up and we all got randomly selected just from like a database. Sure. And, and you know, I could have like deferred if I wanted to, but I didn't because this was actually a decent time um, and all that stuff. So what happens is then, of that group of people that show up, you get randomly selected for different cases. And so they'll like name off, you know, 50 people for the first case. And I wasn't in that. And then they named off 75 for the second case. And I was in that one. Also, was there was another random, person. Or did they select you? Like, you know, it's all random. This is still random. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And then I was, I was, you know, part of a 75 potential for one case. And then that case will get boiled down from 75 down to the 14 people that'll actually sit on the jury. Mm. And the reason that it's 14 is that you need at least 12 of people of your peers to um, make a ruling. So it's 14 for the court case, the court hearing, but as the days go on, maybe somebody gets sick or something happens to a family member. They have to have at least at 12. They have to have exactly 12 people. Yeah. Vote. So there's two oh. backups effectively. Yeah. But all two 14 sit. And then at the end, if all 14 are still there at the last day, two of them just get randomly selected not to vote. Yeah. Wouldn't you think you would ha have to have odd numbers to break ties? Well, or wait, you have to be unanimous when it comes to a jury decision. I do believe so. Yeah. And I don't exactly know that process because I didn't get that far. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk about some of the... Seems the like it was like the Hunger Games, huh? You just didn't quite make the cut? Well, all of us didn't want to make the cut. Yeah, no <laughs> okay, one wanted to okay. be selected. You know, that, <laughs> that was... <laughs> the, the funny thing about this kind of stuff is that it, it, I think it's the same with politics, too, for the most part. But it's like the people who, like, who really actually want to be doing that are exactly the kind of people who should not be doing it. That's what mm -hmm. it felt like. And also the people that thought that that actually answered that they would be good jury members, none of them were on it. Right. Yeah, I, I I think that's just a general rule, that kind of stuff. It's like, if you're somebody who, like, gets really in, into that kind of thing, then, like, you're exactly the kind of person who shouldn't have the power to do it because you're motivated externally. You're not motivated. You're motivated by your own personal ambition or your personal whatever. Yeah. Rather than being motivated just by having justice be done or doing the right thing or whatever. Okay. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it a, a process where, like, you know, the the defense attorney um, and like get to pick jury members, right? Like, don't yeah. they have to like agree yeah. on jury members? Yeah. I, oh, I'm getting there. And that's oh, the reason sorry. that I'm bringing okay. the story out because there was like a literal game being played and I was just a pawn in it. And I was fascinated from the game theory perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's a process of elimination. And when I say elimination, I mean, literally they kill off everyone who's not part of the jury. Brad escaped barely with his life. No guys, that's yes. game of Thrones again. We're mixing. Those oh, up. that's hungry. Yeah. Games again. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's, yeah. 
Sorry, BBD. Wow. I know. I've been watching it too lately, so yeah. I, I hear you. So, so we all got randomly selected from the group. Now, 50 got removed from the 170. There's 120, and 75 got randomly picked from the 120 that were left. Um, now, what's really funny is one of those 75 people was also somebody I knew in the magic world. And how oh, random is it? I'm, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name specifics about the case. Like, like I can, but I'm just choosing not to. Okay. It was um, me. Huh? It was me. It was you. Yeah. <laughs> but how, how, how ridiculous is that? Is like, there was 170 people. I never dreamed to have known someone. Cause I don't even know that many people here in the Washington <laughs> state. Um, but it was somebody I knew. So we just like talked magic the whole time. And it's like, I can't escape magic even when I go to jury duty. And yet on my podcast where people literally go to get magic content, I'm not talking about it. So, so, so work that one out, you know, that's because also, it's everywhere in your life, man. You got to yeah. escape it somewhere. This is your safe zone. People are also, literally coming here for boiled down magic content and they're not getting it yet. I can't even go out into the world without magic stumbling on it. Yeah. <laughs> also, there's the fact that the case that Brad was judging was, uh, was a case of a magician. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was a stall magician. The rabbit just wouldn't show up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Anyway, so uh, the the magic person and you, I, BBD. the magic person and I, both got picked for for the seventy five, and um, that doesn't have much to do with the story. But I just wait a minute. Did you say magic to... and seventy five? You you literally had a seventy five, a sixty card deck. We and... had a full deck at the beginning, but one. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so well, they had a full deck. Whether or not you had a no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the seventy five us had to write out like this questionnaire, and then. The end of the day, we met like the judge and the prosecution, the prosecution, the defense and the defendant. And then they told us like they, we had to get sworn in and make sure that we won't lie or, or, you know, all this stuff. And then we had to meet up again today. That was the first day. Um, and so on today was the most interesting day. So it started off with 74 of us. Now, the 75th this is day person, two you're talking about now, right? Day two. Yeah. So you okay. made the cut for day two. Did you? I did make the cut record? for day two. Like. Was it a flower ceremony? You, you guys really need to do this. Like, it's just making the story take longer. Hey, I, I like we're it. Get, we're getting to the good part. Okay. So the, the start of the process is hardships. This is where anyone where, like, if they were part of the jury, like, their lives would get worse or it would be harder on their life that they can plea out for hardship and the judge might, might grant that. Now, I didn't think saying that I will get... 10 less drafts in for my players tour if I'm part of the jury was a hardship. So I didn't, you know, say that <laughs> when there's other people saying like, I'm the sole earner in our family. And if I'm out five days, they're not going to cover me for being a jury duty. And that, but did you show them your limited percentage compared to standard percentage? Maybe they would understand I th that. I thought about it, but <laughs> I thought a work from home magic player was not a hardship. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. okay. So they eliminated some people that way. And we got, we boiled down to like 42. And now the, this is where like the fun part of it. Now this is where the game starts. And I understand that the, a person's life hangs in the balance and there might've been a bad thing that happens, but like the whole idea of, but you didn't the, know about that yet. Right? Like you I didn't did. Know I, oh, I have okay. already met, like he was part of it. I did not know the specifics, but I knew who the defendant was. You didn't know what they did yet. I, I mean, through speculation from the, the survey that we did, like but they it wasn't asked us just spelled out questions. to you. It wasn't spelled out to you. Like this is his crime. Think about it. Kind of thing. 
Well, why is he a he? Why are you speculating it's a he? That I learned. You, you said he. Oh, I did. Okay, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's also it's an alleged crime, Corey. Yeah, it's an alleged crime. Proven innocent until proven guilty. I'm honestly asking questions to Logan because I don't know the process of it. I don't understand. You know, I, I've never been told what it's like at jury duty at that stage. I've heard people that have just gotten there and been just dismissed right away, but I've never heard anyone that's gotten into this process. So, so yeah, we did a we did a survey that said like specific things that would be that would give you know the people of the court an understanding of where we stand on certain issues, and those issues were part of this case. Now, I do not want to get into the specifics, even though I could. It's just it's uh, it's unnecessary. That's for the ten dollar Patreon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so actually, no. That sorry. That that's for the seven dollar patron. The ten dollar patron is that you do not have to hear the specific. <laughs> <laughs> no, the four ninety nines are the one getting away with. Okay, the guys, let me get to this because it's actually really interesting. Okay, sorry. So then we get to what's called, I think, vordier, and that is a French word. I don't know why our American judicial system uses a French word, but it is to see the truth. And it is a process. Now we've boiled down to 42 people. Let's just say everyone's numbered one through 42. Now I, I did skip over a part. Initially, my number was 69, which was pretty nice. I did see that. That yeah. was, but, yeah. but we got boiled down to 42 people. And now we're in a process where the, the defending and prosecuting attorneys get like 20 minutes to like ask us as a group questions. And, and if we feel a certain way or answer a certain way, we lift our card, they might call upon us and we talk and, and and all of this stuff. And each one gets 20 minutes than the other. Like the it starts with the the prosecuting attorney, which is the state, represented by one attorney, and they will get 20 minutes, then the defending attorney gets 20 minutes, then the prosecuting attorney gets 20, then the defending gets 20. And what they're trying to do is trying to find people that have biases out of the 42 of us that are left. Mm. And trying to figure out who they want on on the jury. So then that then the selection process started. Now I looked up before this started because it's a very interesting like sub mini game and from a game theory perspective i was fascinated with this process while it was happening so i'm going to set this up as well as i can and i tried to look up this process online i couldn't find exactly the rules but i'm just going to explain exactly what happened so they put jury members 1 through 14 in the jury box and the rest of us were sitting since I was number 69 boiled down to 42, I think I was number, let's say, 39. And they put the first 14 in numerical order, which was randomly selected at the beginning, in the jury box. And the rest of us sat where, like, a witness, if you picture a court room, like, where all of the, uh, the, the people watching sit. The gallery? And, yeah, the gallery. Thank you. Wow. Great. Mm -hmm. um, and so then um, the, the prosecuting attorney wrote on a piece of paper, handed it to the defending attorney, wrote on a piece of paper, handed it back to the prosecuting attorney, handed it into the uh, bailiff, handed it to the judge, and the judge removed two people of those 14 that are in the jury box. Then those two seats were replaced by number 15 and 16. Rinse, repeat again, 17 and 18 go into the box. Two of them get eliminated from the box. Then 1920 and this went on for like five or six cycles could you notice any pattern well i i was trying to find patterns but it only happened like five or six times okay um and i was identifying potential patterns but maybe not 
Um, like there was one kid that like he talked and said some weird shit that he was gone immediately. Sure. And, and, uh, and I think there was just like a few people that I could see biases, but, um, I did get some, but that would give away more of what the case was potentially like that. Like there were, there were maybe some decisions made between wanting more men or females on, on the jury that I was speculating on. Okay. But around the fifth or sixth cycle, only one name got removed and then none. And then the judges just said, this is our jury. The rest of you can go before half of us ever even was a part of the elimination process. Now I was excited and happy and I, you know, I'm not gonna, what, what is it? Not kiss a gift horse in the mouth. I don't even know what, what's look, that metaphor? Look at Brad, gift horse. Brad, yeah, I, I've seen you when you've taken ninth on breakers. I know you were bummed to not make the cut. Yeah, no, like, yeah, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to look a, a gift horse in the mouth. Um, but I was like very fascinated with like why both parties would stop or how the rules worked of, of this process. Because so my, my theories were, and I couldn't find it online. I found a lot of people explain it, but not this exact process. Um, you know, the, the, it, it seemed like the, the prosecuting attorney would, would check one of them off. Then the, the defensive attorney would check one off. But if when the pass happened, I thought that was maybe it's, it, it means one of two things. Once you pass, that means the other person gets to eliminate one more person if they want to. Mm-hmm. And then it ends or like they're both satisfied with it. But it feels weird that the other half just wasn't used or that, you know, thinking in game theory one side wouldn't be happy with not getting through the rest of them, right? Unless it's just randomly that none of them wanted any of the rest of the people. Or if they both thought that they had a jury that would be beneficial to them, but it seems unlikely to come to that. Uh... But but it could because, like, they they only got, you know, an op- two hours with us. Yeah. And it was and limited how much in- interaction they got with us. There's probably a it. limit to what they're allowed to do in that spot. They probably can't just... I, th- I, think, I think they're only allowed... Like, I could, I, I don't know exactly. I, I don't know the system for sure, but I think there's like a limit of how many people they can remove. During but that I don't, process. I don't think that could possibly be right because then the 75th person is like literally never necessary. Do you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, that just might be how it is. Like people like it's so inefficient. Why? Like what if, what if like 40 people have to leave because they have like, like, you know, whatever the thing you said earlier where they were like, you know, if you have extenuating circumstances that you can't be on this jury. Oh, that's true. That doesn't be true. So if you're and like number, yeah, that's true. One factor that they probably had too <laughs> is the, before you actually got into that process, they probably ranked, they each got to pick certain people that they put higher in the numbers. So the people towards no, the they, bottom. The numbers always, the numbers were random. Oh, really? The numbers were always random. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I, and I, I always think they just, number. I think they just probably picked a number of, they probably ranked people that they least wanted on their jury and then would eliminate people. They probably, there's probably some limit to how many they can eliminate each or whatever. And they would just eliminate the people that were like lowest on their list until they ran out of. I mean, I feel like they both quit at an appropriate time or it is possible to literally, if you pass, they get one more action than pass. Like most games are built around that system, right? But we don't know that it's a game. I mean, it's 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 a it's a government thing. There's probably like really weird and strict rules around it. Kind of. Well, this is this is just. I mean, it. Of course, there are there are lives in the balance here, but it is just a game. 
I know it's a game, but it's like you're, you're saying that like you're you're putting it in the context of games that we know, where it's like if yeah. one player passes, then the other player gets an action and stuff. But like, the, the, I, I agree that it's a, it is in some ways a game, like game theory is involved, but it it probably follows very strict rules that don't necessarily match up to the rules that we would expect like an actual board game to play under. Oh yeah, I'm just curious if the pass matter because it went. 10 people got eliminated, then one person, you know, in chunks of two. Right. And then one person got eliminated, and then it was done. And they still had another round. So, I I mean, odds are both parties were satisfied, which doesn't make sense to me. But whatever, I'm not an attorney. I've never done this before. But while it was happening, I thought it was just a really cool process of trying to get to a, you know, a jury of your peers. But... You and know. we could also factor in that they're just human beings that maybe just want to be done working. And they're like, yeah, sure. Good enough. You know, I mean, that's probably not a huge factor, but that is probably somewhat of a thing. If they do that every single week, at some point they're just both like, yeah, good enough. You know? As long as they find, yeah. As long as they like both, like if both goals, if both sides think they, they're going to win and, you know, and, and their goal is to just have the most objective to work together a lot you know both of those people yeah. have, that's not the first time they work together you know so they're I mean, gonna who have knows some if mutual it, could it could also just be like yeah, an assigned been, case you know like they might be a, a lot of uh, yeah like we're I, I i do agree with Corey. like we we see like tv shows where people put their put everything into like various cases and stuff but like those aren't everyday people yeah oh, they, i watch better call saul i the, that, that's actually a good <laughs> indicator of the like grinding it out Honestly, the only kind of indicator now that you bring up another show is like, have you ever seen the OJ trials with uh, Cuban Gooden Jr.? Yeah. You know, I picture that as like the jury selection. Like they were really kind of vicious about who they wanted up there, either to manipulate the side or because they thought these people would vote a certain way. We, we cannot you know? compare the OJ Simpson case. I mean, of to course. The- but, and that's, that's, I mean, it is a show that was made up too. So I'm sure everything is dramatized. I don't know anything about that situation. But that's the only thing I picture when I, I picture people selecting jury members because that, you know, I, I've never seen the process. So. John Travolta directing me is the extent of my knowledge sure. when it comes to that. Yeah, so. when I, I've always thought that when I, if I ever get called for jury duty, that John Travolta would probably be the, same. Be the one same, who's same. making those decisions. No, no, no. And he his was, goatee he was the would just intimidate of my me. case. Wait, I've said too much. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> no, that sounds like a really cool process, though. It, it seems like it would actually be cool to be a part of. But eight hours, ten hours oh, it's doesn't not. make I mean, me want to do it's that. It's very inefficient, and it and your time is. Well, while they might make it a priority, it's impossible to be a priority. Yeah. So there was just infinite downtime, just infinite. Yeah. Well, the real question was, is what did you and that magic ter- person, what decks did you guys talk about? That's what we've all been dying to hear. <laughs> oh, we talked more about policy and. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, they talked and, specifically so it's a about designer. <laughs> Esper Hero, Vance Ramp. <laughs> Mono Black. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're getting oh, into Don't the spoil show our whole right. episode, dude. That's all yeah. we got. All right, so let's actually move into the magic portion of the episode. Um, so the the truth is that I have been doing jury duty and playing a lot of limited. Brian has also not been playing a lot of constructed, but Corey has been playing a metric. Well, I've been shit speaking. Ton. I've been speaking only the truce and the half truce of a trice. That's all mm. I've been doing. Yeah, of the trice. A trice, the half truce. Yeah. yeah. Atris. Oh, okay. I don't know how I you pronounce it, but that it, it was know. a bad jury magic pun. I, I'll see myself out. All right. 
Thank you. All right, Brian, what should we talk about? <laughs> Let's talk about the world. The world? Oh, God. Uh, Are we talking about Hoth? No, not the world of Warcraft. (laughs) Are we talking about Hoth again? No. All right, so so let's actually get into it now. um, We, you know, in our pre-show that you can be a part of if you are our $3 patron at patreon.com. That's all Uh, we charge them for such great content? It is is 30 extra minutes (laughs) or 20 to 30 extra minutes a week of extra content that you get from the BBP. Yeah, just $3 a week. Yeah, let's raise that. Uh, that's gold at the beginning. Let's I feel like there. it's adequately priced, maybe a I little expensive. I feel like expensive. it's bronze. I yeah. feel like it might be like tin, <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's copper at best. Let's yeah. Do it. All right, copper so we, actually is pretty valuable. But. We <laughs> asked Corey what his favorite decks are. Yeah. And, and also what decks he wasn't uh, liking that much. So I want to actually start the episode with your misses. So we've got Corey's hit and misses. We've got three each. Yeah. And I'm going to start, we're going to start with your misses, Corey. Okay. So, so can you name decks that you think that are fads that people are talking about and playing and you're playing against on the ladder that you don't think they're, uh, they got it. What's your, what's your oh, number wow. one fad right now? Number one fad. Well, first let me prefix with anytime we have a Corey episode, it's just like a Meg episode in Family Guy. Nobody's excited, <laughs> but but here we are. <laughs> Shut up, Corey. <laughs> okay, okay. So, all right. So some of the fad decks that I think are just not great is one Mount of Black Devotion. I I, I think it's a bit too much of a meme, even though it's doing very powerful things. It's so easy to disrupt if you just, you know, use removal on a one-for-one basis and contain the engine and then have somewhat of a plan for Bolas's Citadel, whether it be, you know, Banishing Light, uh, D-Spark, Counterspells, what what have you. As long as you can do that, which most decks in Standard can do, it's pretty easy to beat that deck. It, it, it's just a simple case of don't let that thing snowball, and the deck's not very good. Interesting. All right, so... Yeah. What do you, what do you, do you think it's missing anything or is it just like, I mean, it's a monocolor deck. Is there anything that you think could, could make it better or is it just not enough resources? No, I think, well, that goes one in the same because this is something that BBD brought up last week and something that I think is, it just really holds true. These mono black devotions were really missing these kind of underworld connection effects that gave these decks, these, this card advantage to be able to get a wide uh, or a high number of devotion as well as deal with threats. Without something like that, I, I just don't think it's possible. One card we were kind of talking about in the pre-show is Treacherous Blessing that can yeah. gain you some of that card advantage and still kind of help with Devotion. I think more decks should be playing that um, instead of focusing you know, on more like removal. I've seen a lot of these decks that are playing like three or four Underworld, uh, whatever, the Black Devotion, Kill Anything kind of thing. And just playing like four murderous rider and stuff. And I, I just think that's too much removal. You need to be kind of sidestepping that and just really doing your plan. And I think Treacherous Blessing helps kind of in all those facets. Yeah, I, I, I imagine that to be a successful mono black deck, you, you have to be producing a lot of card advantage to keep pace with the rest of the format because the rest of the format just has so much card advantage. And to me, like, I think... Witch's Oven plus Cauldron Familiar to offset the drawback on Treacherous Blessing, which that provides you with a lot of card advantage leading into Bolas' Citadel. Like, looks like the way that you should be building Mono Black. I mean, granted, I haven't been playing Standard, but 
Um, just just from a theory standpoint, I, I can't imagine with how powerful the rest of these decks are in the format and like how easy it is for them to one for one removal you while also generating huge chunks of card advantage. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to keep pace with that somehow, and you're not doing it by like playing a creature that has a, an effect when it dies, you know, or yeah. whatever. Like and and one thing that's popping up a lot that Mono Black is really bad at is is trying to beat Dream Trawler. Like you just cannot interact with it, and you know it goes over the top of everything you have. It it's such a problem for Mono Black. Most it Citadel gets running away, but. Every yeah. deck, like you said, is having to have answers to it. Exactly. If Bolas of Citadel runs away, the deck's phenomenal. But, I mean, if you ever hit land, land off it, and they can just do something to the enchantment the next turn, like, it's usually just game over. Because you don't have the card advantage behind you to refuel after that. You can castle Lockdwin and stuff. And when a deck's trying to play fair with you, that's fine. But when you have Dream Trawler, where castle Lockdwin isn't going to catch you up, I, I just don't think the deck's good enough. All right. Well, Mono Black is a bust in Corey's opinion. I'll actually yep. agree with that. I mean, I'll I'll stand behind it without playing much. It doesn't look that interesting to me. It kind of looks like everything has to go right for you to do your thing. It can have some busted draws, but, like, that's one thing that I've seen a lot more lately with, like, cons- I've been consuming a lot of content in Standard, and it feels like a there's just a lot of decks that are, like, can do this busted thing and then it makes it look really good but that always happens <coughs> like a deck has their their a a plan but if their win percentage isn't there then it, it you know it's a weak deck and i just feel like mono black is just exactly that it can do this powerful thing it can do it flashy if you want to win with bolsa citadel it's going to give you some really fun games but all in all your win percentage isn't going to be that great you're not going to be able to answer as many cards because you're playing mono black so you're always going to have to combo them if they have the right answers you're gonna have a you know you're gonna have a bad time yeah yeah i agree i think just red black sacrifice is just a better version of the deck that gets to play a little bit more low to the ground plays a lot more value creatures so cat oven actually has something to do you know play like midnight reapers and stuff like that cards that you don't normally want when you're playing devotion because it's only two colorless and one black but it's just a good card yeah i i also think that people are always like we see the same thing in modern all the time where it's like, you can't unban Stoneforge Mystic, it will destroy the format. And it's like, yeah, 10 years ago. Like, yeah. we, with like Mono Black Devotions, like, yeah, it was great six years ago, but Magic is just so different. Like, the cards are just so obscenely powerful now oh, compared to how they were then. That, like, you can't just expect that the same deck or the same style of deck is is going to be good again. Okay, I hear you on that. All right, all right. So another deck that I think is a little overrated would be the Crokies deck, the Teamer Thassa. Did you guys see this kind of deck? I am shocked that his three-color mess is is a little (laughs) overhyped. Now, don't get me wrong. That man knows how to hustle. I like his content. He is great with his brand. I I like ribbing on him. But when I saw that deck and him say the word broke it, I audibly laughed at my computer. (laughs) Yeah, and honestly, I get that the deck seems powerful when you're able to, you know, steal. When it was a creature-heavy metagame, which I feel usually happens right away on a standard, people just try out all these new cool creatures. But once everything starts to slow down, your threats become more condensed. And then, like, he doesn't have a lot of targets. And then if he's just holding a hand of Neoforms and claim the firstborns, 
and the Akroan War up against a blue-white control deck, like, you just lose, you know? That's three cards you can't cast. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, uh, Crokies is a, one of the most popular streamers mm -hmm. now. Shot up in the last year. You can find him on Twitch. And uh, is a pretty good deck builder and deck tuner for yeah. only playing Magic for over a year. Vant Adventures that he had of last season was probably my favorite deck uh, out of anything. I, I, I bought it in paper just to play casual events at the BCW challenges. That's, Did that's you really? how much. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I'm like, it is so worth it. I, I really enjoyed playing it. So yeah. So so the deck was really cool, and uh, and and he did other stuff. Like he was the first person during Simic Oko Simic to put Noxious Grass Main, yeah, Splash for Black, mm. and uh, yeah, during that arena MC. Well, you you and him both did it mm -hmm. around the same time. He was the first to popularize it. Yeah, I I I, I would say that I did it before he did, but he. I didn't do it publicly, so. Yeah. I literally yeah. did it from, like, day one, but. Um, yeah. Sorry, I got to toot my own horn where, wherever I can, which is rare, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're rare, then Crokey's is <clears throat> mythic, and. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're yeah, totally so diamond. I, I actually love watching his trajectory because he, he's on a very, very powerfully good trajectory as when it comes to, like, magic skill. Um, yeah. But, you know, because of the content and the game and, and his brand, you know, he comes out with like, and it's, and it's good business, but he comes out online. He's like, broke it. Yeah. And, and uh, this deck looks fun, but no, no one's going to convince me to put Neo form and claim the firstborn in my deck. I understand the combo. Yeah. I understand yeah. they work with other things in it. But like you said, you, you also play cyborg <clears> games. <throat> that is a lot of cards built for certain things. And. Yep. Once decks get condensed, get more powerful, get more streamlined, it's probably not going to be a great strategy. The one thing I did love that he did is he started people thinking and talking about Thassa Deep Dwelling. Exactly. And, and, you know, that is cool. Like, blinking Cavaliers at end step, blinking Risen Reef, this is a really good strategy and standard because when you play it immediately, you usually get a card back. Like, right, you're usually not playing that card to blink nothing if it's up to you. You want to gain value with that card. And even if they were to kill that creature on the next turn, the next turn, you get to think, do I want to play a play that might, you know, to fairy bounce or something? Or do I want to play a creature that has some come into play ability? But that come into play ability is now going to be doubled because you have this indestructible thing on the battlefield. So you're always having that extra value you can consider. Well, you also can, very good you can also threaten something and keep <clears throat> it. And that's and that's big, yeah. too. Exactly. And combined with Nyssa being able to tap just a shitload of creatures is a very undervalued thing from that deck as well. Yeah, I think oh, this yeah. is like a classic deck of really cool synergies that work really well together. Like you've got Claim the Firstborn um, that works really well with Thassa and Neoform. And then mm -hmm. Neoform works well with um, Risen Reef and, and things like that. But ultimately decks that have a lot of situationally good cards based around synergies are, are rarely going to be the best decks at the end of a format. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're definitely cool. Like they're going to be, uh, I would say among the more fun decks to play because when you get to do your thing, it's really cool. But exactly. usually once like kind of to what Corey was saying, once decks start getting streamlined, these decks usually fall by the wayside. So it's a perfect streamer deck because it does cool things and it has the power of Nissa to bail it out so you can maintain the high rank. It's literally genius, but it doesn't mean it's going to be a, a standard staple. All right. Well, uh, now that you have, you know, pretty much pissed off more people that, than 
even listen to our podcast. How about you tell us about your third <laughs> bust? Well, my third bust kind of leads into the Kroger's Teamer deck. It's it's something more decks are trying to be focused blue-green now, and that is with uh, the huge hype around Uro, Titan of blue-green, whatever. Um, I don't know exactly what it what it's called. But I think the blue-green Titan and just that shell in general is a little overvalued and the the shell i'm talking about is simic ramp where you're kind of playing the manguchi version where you have risen reef cavaliers uh now uro and then ramping into a couple of finales and race forerunner stuff like that i just think the answers are a little bit more robust with this new set coming out and there's a lot more ways to deal with uh five converted mana cost permanents for a cheap and effective rate that winning off these cards and expecting Cavalier to gain you value and stuff just isn't kind of what it was before this new set came out. I think there's a lot of answers to go over and to answer these kind of well, big threats. So, so I'm looking at like <clears throat> these decks are now also playing Agent of Treachery to work with their Thassas as well, right? That's an amazing interaction. Yeah, so yeah. so that's like that's the, what these simic decks are doing. Yeah, I don't I haven't looked at these simic decks, but it, I I can't imagine that the the finale and raise forerunner thing is better than just a bunch of agents to go with Thassa at this point. But Yeah, and I mean that could be shifting to that too. I haven't played a lot of simic admittedly because I just I didn't like it initially. Um but admittedly it's something that we've all been playing for so long. I wanted to try other things in a new standard format. So I could be wrong on that. I just haven't been impressed and I haven't been losing to that deck. So I'm looking right now at uh, Brian Gottlieb's uh, deck list from like day one. And yeah. it didn't have any, I feel like, you know, it, so it has four agents like Leapkin Druins, Rizzard Reese, Gross Brown, Nissa, Dasa, Cavalier Agent, but no Krasis. I, I, I bet that <clears throat> has probably been corrected. It probably since. has. And one other thing I want to mention real quick is Agent is still a really expensive blue card. I'm looking at every deck, and there's just a ton of disputes now. So that does worry me about playing Agent, you know, I mean, in this world where every blue deck is packing three disputes minimum these days. Yeah, well, I think it's really funny, like, but to, to go off of what Brad said, but early in a format, like, there's we always like to jam-pack, like, all the new cards into decks and stuff, and, and Hydroid Crisis tends to be the card that, like, you know, gets cut to make room for these flashy effects. And then by the mm -hmm. end of the format, it's just four hydro crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Always yeah. like, Oh, oh it's, yeah. It's like the same. It's like, <clears throat> uh, so one of my favorite, uh, periods was when Brian identified this weird thing back when Kaladesh was a standard. And he's like, every time a new format comes out, there's a format. And right before the next set comes out, every deck has every, all the best decks play sky shift, uh, whatever that was called. Sky Sovereign. Sky Sovereign. Yeah. Sky Sovereign. And so then Brian just like wanted to play it at the beginning of the format and we put it in teamer and all three of us top four to GP. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted, I, I was just like, every deck just always has boat at the end of a format. Let's just start the format with boat. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. we played teamer energy with two in the main deck. <laughs> did we? And Glorybringers, yeah. I'm pretty sure, unless we did one and one. Our list had two. No, no, no. I remember it was two Glorybringer, two Scarab God. That's right. Oh, was that it? <laughs> really? That, that was it? at the end of the format, and that oh, was... Oh, yeah, exactly. At the end of the format, you're always correct. I That's what I for, learned from this. For posterity's sake, the card is Uro, Titan of Nature's Wrath, for people who were 
Thank you. In that. Yeah. This set is not good to me and Brad. Everything has seven Brad and seven I. words. This set is not good to Brad and I. Every set has or Brad and me. Set. Actually, Brad and me. All right, I, I'm leaving this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, our 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 tournament winning deck also played a Ronus. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. Ronus got me into that top eight. It really yeah. did. I played against a Grixis um, emerge deck, and I, it felt like it was a really bad matchup. And I I legitimately felt like I had to win with Ronus and. Like, that was my main game. Like, I was like, I think I just have to win with Ronus. I don't know how else I can beat this deck. Um, because it, they're, they're, th- that deck just seemed, like, basically cold to Ronus. And what ended up happening was my opponent got a game loss in game one for a deck reg error. Beat <laughs> the crap out of me game two. And then game three, I beat him with Ronus. So. While that I, did happen, it was, it's just fun looking back at our old list that had Tracker in the sideboard. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the main. You know how this... I mean, this yeah. was like, we were the first, this was like the second <laughs> week of energy, right? Brad, did Tracker get banned from the format or did Rogue Refiner get banned? Well, but most decks played both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I honestly can't remember anything from that tournament. Ever since a magma spray got cast to me, the rest of the memory burned away in my brain. You're going to complain about that forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so we've got, we've got uh, three decks. And that uh, Corey thinks are bad. And it only alienates, like, you know, Andrea's stream, the Arena Deckless podcast, and Croaky's stream. I mean... All right. Now that we... We didn't hit that many people. Only thousands. Now that we've assassinated Corey's character completely, that's (laughs) going to be the end of this week's episode of the Bash Bros podcast. (laughs) I won't see you again, everybody. Goodbye. I'm canceled. And and, and then we won't be on... Then we'll need an actual jury for for when we uh, get hit with... What is it? Slander? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is actually. And also it's going to have to be a jury of his peers, which includes us. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Who said we're right. peers? All right. So, so now <laughs> let's get, now you've got three decks that you really like. And I see a trend emerging. Speaking <laughs> of emerge. <laughs> yeah. I see a trend emerging. I, I feel even scared to even talk about the decks I do like. I mean, I just, I feel like I'm set up for failure, Brad. Oh, we did set you up for failure. Corey's like, nice. what are we talking about this week? And we're like, we know nothing. You talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, I mean, there's weeks, right? Like, this is just our podcast. Like, if there's a if there's a there's a week where Brian and I don't know anything, that's fine. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People just won't, you know, be patient. Respect us in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I am, I am if they don't you respect want to... us in the present, though, so Oh, what a twist. Let right. me just start by saying what decks I enjoy, okay? You want me to go from one to three or three to one? Uh, let's start with three. What is your third favorite deck in standard? All right, my third favorite deck in standard, I got to give it up to a Nissa strategy. I've been kind of uh, explaining how Nissa is not really on a dominant path, but let's get real. It's pretty good. And when combined with other new threats that I think are powerful from Theros Beyond Death, I think we got a deck. So that deck is Bant Ramp. Playing, starting off with, yep, you guessed it, four Nissa, four Krasis. <laughs> really, really showing off the new cards. Um, but no, in all seriousness, you get Krasis, you get Nissa, and then you get Dream Trawler, uh, Teferi, uh, Deputy of Detention, and then Elspeth Conquers Death uh, as your white cards in the main board. Of course, you get access to some nice cards in the sideboard, like Devout Decree. Uh, Night of Autumn, Time Wipe. For Night of Autumn is a really nice card to combat like food strategies. 
food strategies. There's, you know, a lot of these sagas that are hanging around right now. I mean, if you can Knight of Autumn, even an Elspeth Conqueror's Death from a blue-white deck, it, it's good. And you still bring those in because that's not your main target. But all these blue-white control decks, which we'll talk to uh, talk about here in a second, are also playing a lot of these banishing effects where if you destroy those, you get your things back. O-ring type effects, banishing life. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I'm Knight not a big fan of Deputy of Detention, but maybe it's fine. I would say yeah, that Knight of Autumn is a great card for making people think it's good because of its versatility, but it always underwhelms. Oh, I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, of any time that this card might be playable, it could be now. I agree. I agree. Normally, I think but this I agree card with is you unplayable. completely, Brian. I have never liked this card. No, no. Like um, people bringing it in against Burn back when Chain Ruler was there, be like, I gained four life and then lost my creature. It's like, well, that yeah, was terrible. Like the four three isn't good. And ever, sometimes ever. killing yeah. the. I would say the greatest trick the Dever, devil ever pulled was printing Knight of Autumn because it just <laughs> fooled and thrashing Brontodon. Yeah, Brontodon. <laughs> I think Brontodon is is a little is better than uh, Knight of Autumn, but still, yeah, yeah. But anyways, I just like the strategy of still ramping in this format. I don't think you, I'm playing zero uh, euro in this deck. I don't think the card is good enough. Um, Dream Trawler is all you need as a late game. And then Elspeth Conqueror's Death is a really versatile tool that hits every single deck in the meta. It, it's never been a dead card for me. So I've been a huge fan of that. I card. mean, I am super like excited to return Anissa to play and just hard cast my crisis immediately um, yeah. without, you know, having to have the, the Nissa does not have to survive combat in that scenario, but yeah. also dream trawler can discard the Nissa to get back with the Elspeth to then, to then uh crisis. Cause yeah. El Elspeth's conquers death puts it into play. Right. I, I have not. It does. It puts, it puts it. Chapter three is put a creature or planeswalker into play. You either get a loyalty or a plus one, plus one counter. Oh, you um, can finally answer it. Can you put a loyalty counter on a creature or a plus one, plus one on you, a Planeswalker? You can. You can do either. Yes. You really can? It's an yep. option? It is. Yep. Yep. You can put a loyalty counter on a Woe Strider. I did it just for science. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I think that, that is an interaction that we should we should just talk a little bit more about because I, I don't know if people are have latched onto that, but... That, that, I think that is an, actually an incredibly powerful interaction where at the end of chapter two of Elspeth Conquers Death, um, before it goes into the third turn, yeah, you can just use your Dream Trawler to pitch something, including another yeah. Dream Trawler. And then you just get a free <laughs> Dream Trawler the next turn. Well, like, okay, so we, have to, we have to talk I... spiky. We have to talk super spiky here too. Um, so chapter's coming back. Now, if you retain anything from this episode and this might be easy to retain because nothing everything else is nonsense right how this chapters the one work thing that's not nonsense yeah. so listen yeah. up yeah yeah this is the one thing today that won't be utter nonsense <laughs> a uh, a chapter triggers during your first main phase so if you get in the habit with dream trawler and play if you have elspeth on two ch elspeth's <clears throat> whatever conquers death on two and a dream trawler but nothing to discard that you'd want you could draw it for that turn, but if you draw it and acknowledge that you're in your draw step, 
you can still discard it and get it for your main phase if that is something you choose to want to do. I will say, yeah, though, that's that not that's, great, though. Yeah, you're because tapping you're your tapping. game trawler to yeah. do that. Then you don't get to attack with it. Yeah, but This is what, a much better but, end step. But it, of course, I'm not I'm not saying that this is strategically valuable. Wow, this I'm is what we're taking away need, as our coherent thought. We are fucked. No, I'm saying that you need to be aware that these yeah. you do you can interact in your draw step. It is very important to know that with chapters you can interact in your draw step. Yes. Like like for example in even in limited if you have a way to return uh a saga that's about to be destroyed and you're well I guess you could just then you do it once you trigger it if you want it to be triggered. But you just need to to understand that you can do something during mm-hmm. your draw step. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to. Sure. I want to make a. Yeah, I'm just going to use this as soapbox on sagas for a, a, a little bit. Number one, I get really annoyed when people do the saga effect in their upkeep because that's not how the card works. And and people used to do it all the time. History of Benalia, etc. Like, get in mm-hmm. the habit of doing cards. That, like, I, I think players should just get in the habit of of doing cards the way they're meant to be played. That's just a huge instead of shortcutting. Instead of shortcutting. Instead of doing things out of order. Like, get in the habit of playing Magic based on the way the rules tell you you should play the game. It just avoids so much headache down the line. You don't have to get into these rules. Like, yes, doing a history of Benalia in your upkeep is unlikely to ever matter, and you've probably never gotten called on it by a judge or whatever, but it could happen. Just get in the habit of of doing things when they're supposed to be done. So Saga's trigger in your main phase, and this is incredibly relevant for a number of reasons. Number one is what Brad said. You get to draw your card before you trigger your saga. Also, what if your card is uh, Thirst for Meaning? Yeah. Like, that's a better example. You can cast it during your draw step and pitch a creature or Planeswalker to bring back if you have no other target. Exactly. Or an enchantment creature, even, and get the best of both worlds. Yeah. And then, yeah, so you get to draw your card first. And like Brad said, that that can definitely impact what you get to do. Like, you might draw a bounce spell, and now... Because Saga is a trigger that goes on the stack that involves sacrificing it after the trigger resolves, you can put the trigger on the stack for whatever the last chapter is for your Saga, and then you can bounce it, and that trigger will still happen. So that's also something to keep in mind. Granted, you can't do it with, like, Teferi, because it has to be something that's at instant speed. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is an option available to you, and that happens in your main phase and could be done with the card that you drew for the turn. And and if you don't think that this is relevant, and the reason I'm saying it, Brian and I, along with our teammate Martin Mueller, top eight at a Grand Prix because I remembered this trigger. We would have lost a match where I otherwise had the Eldest Reborn in play in a very bad deck, but I got to draw for my third turn a removal spell, kill their creature, and bring it back. Yeah. And if I didn't do this, we would have lost the game. And that would have effectively lost the match and for the match for the team, and we would not have top eight at this tournament. Or top four in it, excuse me. But so, like, the relevancy of just knowing this interaction, it's a very unique interaction, is just, we've talked enough about it, people know, but it's very important to know. And I do like what you said, though, Brian, is making sure you do things by the rules, because if you shortcut a bunch, you Mm -hmm. will just never get this. Yeah, you'll never learn how it works. You'll never get the value out of it. But also, just there's just value in playing magic by the rules in general. Like You make Brian happy. Yeah, yeah, you make me happy. Like that that's no. one thing that I've done my entire career playing magic is I follow the way cards are written and I do things in the correct phases at the correct times and I'm very clear about everything that I do. And yeah, you also stare at walls though. Well, yeah, but <laughs> but he does so <laughs> legally. I by the book. 
Buy the book. What do you think I'm doing when I'm staring at a wall? I'm I'm practicing my sequencing. So, but like I, I've done that my entire career, and I just I I just always hear stories of like these convoluted judge calls that happen to people where like absurd things happen, and I just think to myself that would never happen to me because I don't play magic that way. Like I don't play magic yeah. loosely, and I just I, I I'm not I'm not trying to like toot my horn here. I'm just trying to say that like there's so much value in doing that. Just yeah. You just you miss you you just cut off all the chances for you to get screwed over in weird ways from it. Like I I will say one thing that I think we're all kind of uh, um, losing a little bit of is the exact ways that stacks and triggers work with moving from Magic Online to Arena. Magic Online, though it may have been a little more clunky of a program, you you noticed how the stack worked. Like you learn when you play Magic Online, you learn when these triggers go off because everything is very clear. Arena, it all kind of blends together a little bit more, and I I fear that's making players not appreciate the rules and not appreciate the 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 minor things like that as much as they once did. I mean, that's possible. I, I'm not even going to speculate on that kind of stuff. I also think that there's more and more new players coming to the game, and these are really, really magic is an extremely complex game, and so you know it takes a while for everyone to learn, but. Um, when you play tabletop, I, I do believe you should just, you know, believe in Brian's philosophy here because it's not ever going to hurt you, but it has the chance of significantly helping you in a competitive environment. The wall staring or the playing tight. I mean, I don't really get the wall staring, but the, I don't even think it's playing tight. It's doing the order of operations of magic. Brian doesn't play tight. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I play yeah. loose. Yeah. I, I play loose AF, but at least I play loose AF by the rules yes. <laughs> um but just one last thing is to, to tie into the elspeth who conquers that thing because dream trawler's ability taps it when you discard a card you probably want to discard if you're planning on discarding something to bring back by um the enchantment you should you should probably do it at the end of your opponent's turn after your second mm -hmm. chapter has gone off so that your dream trawler will get to attack the next turn, but the thing is in the graveyard for chapter three. Just and I'm gonna and I'm gonna kind of yeah 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 good good point. I'm gonna kind of add to that though. Also, when you have dream trawler in play, it doesn't matter whatever else you're doing, you're gonna win the game. So I mean, I'm just saying, like, if you look at this band deck, like, if I have both in play, yes, and attacking for five and drawing an extra card would be nice. But if I have the opportunity to, I've just drawn a fresh Nissa that I can discard to get back. Otherwise, I'm getting back like a Paradise Druid. And then I get to tap all my mana for the turn on Hydroid Crisis. Yeah. There's probably a benefit to that. True. But think of how big your trawler would be if you just got to play the Crisis and then attack. Yeah, Ooh. you'd be one-shotting your opponent. Oh, yeah. I get it. All right, so moving on, what is number, <laughs> yeah. what's your number two deck? Number two <laughs> is a deck that I stole from Brian, actually. Ooh, um, Brian Brian doing? did you build the deck? A Brian. Oh, it's not a Brian. Okay. A Brian. Yep. Oh, oh, I'm with you. Wink, wink. We're not promoting anyone else. Exactly. Exactly. Nah, just kidding. One of our good friends, Brian Gottlieb, uh, came up with a blue white control deck that is featuring a lot of enchantment synergies and Archon of the. I can't read our small text. I don't know what the full name is. Archon of Sun's Grace. Okay. The, yeah, making the enchantment whenever you play like Birth of Melitis. Uh, banishing light. Right, real quick, Archon of Sun's Grace, two white, white, flying lifelink, three, four, constellation, create a two, two flying Pegasus, and then another, if you play an enchantment, and then another ability is uh, your Pegasus gain lifelink. 
Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, being able to create this mass board after you've contained the battlefield with wraths, you get a bunch of Shatter of the Skies, the new Wrath of God uh, that draws a card with power four. You got some time wipes to diversify when you want to return your Dream Reaver or your Archon. You still get to play to What's a Dream Reaver? Dream Trawler. Sorry. Dream Weaver is a very popular song by Foreigner. I thought so. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what I thought it was called the first day on versus live. And we sang a little bit about dream trawler and now I can't get it or dream weaver. And I can't get it out of my head. It sounded to me like you said dream reaver. And I thought it was because dream trawler is very reminiscent of drog skull reaver. No, it was because of dream weaver. I believe, yeah, that song. You guys ever heard of it? No, actually, oh, I haven't. Uh, of course, I have. Now I'm just checking what the. Uh, Don't the check by its by because no, it's probably I'm not. I'm looking for that her. green spider. Is that a weaver? Yeah. Nope. It's uh, R. It's <laughs> oh, is this? It's it's almost Ad Astra of the Endless Web. <laughs> yeah, it's R Astra. Yeah, R Astra. Anyways, <laughs> the thing I'm podcast where we now does. Dis- Talk about how bad at Astro was. Dude, if, if we get like, <laughs> like uh, what what's our line? $5? If if we get five more subs or patrons. That's not I how would, this works. I, I would do like uh, an, an hour long how ass at Astro was with you, Brian. Oh, it would be an hour long podcast full of nothing but disdain for one movie. So it would be yeah. about half the amount of time they spent on one scene in that movie. Yes, Ooh. yes. <laughs> and I get to reap the rewards without having to be on this podcast? This sounds great. Let's do it, boys. Dude, I would do it. That movie was stains. All right. Anyway. Uh, anyways, one thing that I really liked about this deck is similar to Bant, Elspeth Conquers Death, Dreamweaver, and then also Bertha Melitis really impressed me. Um, basically, Wall of Omen, you know, on, on steroids, basically. You get to search for a land, which fixes your fixes your draws. Then you get the O4, gaining two life as well. And a cute interaction that you can do is Bertha Melitis, get your land during your draw step, get an O4 wall to fairy bounce to get that land again, get another O4 wall, and it curves out perfectly. There's a lot of very cool interactions, as well as Elspeth Conquer's death getting back to fairy late game that would die early on, which it normally does. Um, if Dream Trawler ever gets Wrath, you know, you get to return it. Like, I, I, you're, I'm liking these cards kind of for the same reason as Bant Rap. I just think the shell of these blue-white cards are very powerful. All right. Well, if you also want to show your opponent dominance, instead of bouncing the Birth of Miletus, just bounce your own wall. Yeah. Hell just yeah. Just turn three, bounce the 4 your opponent's turn. <laughs> they call Hell that going yeah. balls to the wall. Yes. <laughs> no, that- the real thing is to go... Birth of Melitis, get your third land, play the third land to fairy bounce, and then don't bounce Birth of Melitis, and then don't play your fourth land. That's the, <laughs> that's the next level. So um, I, I, I actually kind of feel like the, I, I agree with you, these blue-white decks seem to have an absurd amount of power in them and mm-hmm. synergy at the same time. Cards that are individually good and also individual and also have synergy with each other, which is generally the markings of what is a good deck. So I think there, I imagine that we're going to see these kinds of blue white shells being, being a powerful player and standard throughout because there's just, yeah, like exactly what I just said. There's just so much power and synergy and that's, that's I mean, usually what dominates standard. So, so seeing this deck, when I agree with everything Brian's saying, and then seeing your next deck, your top deck, which oh, I don't yeah. even think is the best deck. I think you just love it, which I'm fine with because this is Same. definitely 
This is a podcast where we're all biased and like this deck. Yeah, I, um, I would yeah. also guess that this is probably not the best deck, but I also... Yeah. Yeah. It's but, pretty good, y'all. But I want to say, though, that Dream Trawler is kind of a fucked up card. Yeah, Dream Trawler is like, good. It's it's an absurd card. It's got a protective element. It's also a, a Baneslayer lifelink effect. And like Lyra and Baneslayer were always so good, but the problem is they died to a Doomblade. Yeah. And so now we're going to have to get creative in this format. We're going to have to find ways to kill it. So like you've already shown, you know, a, a proactive deck with Dream Trawler and you've shown a reactive deck with Dream Trawler with Wrath Effects. Like, Let's get to the mid range. Yeah. So, so <laughs> I mean, your, your final deck is an Esper hero deck yeah. and it's very similar to like other versions, but you've even put time wipe in the main deck. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I kept finding that I would really want to play hero early but you're always put in that, you know, kind of limbo where you have time wipe, you have the mana to cast it, you're up against an aggro deck, you don't really want to play hero, have it chump block a little bit, and then have to wrath it away with shatter the sky, which is the de facto better uh, wrath of God, in my opinion, just because it's cheaper. But being able to play in such a way where you just get to play your cards and then kind of get bailed out by time wiped, I, I think is pretty valuable. Yeah, I mean, and, and Time Wipe works really well with Atreus. Uh, Atreus, oh yeah. But, so so now to bring it all together. I actually don't even know if any of these decks, from my perspective, there, there's only one, there's there's three common cards in all three of these decks. It's Teferi Time Raveler, Elspeth Who Conquers Death, mm -hmm. or Elspeth Conquers Death, and Dream Trawler. So I actually, yes, we did this episode about and what Hollow you disliked. Fountain. Well, okay, no, of course, mana. <laughs> um, but like we started this episode is like, Corey, what decks do you like? What decks do you dislike? Honestly, we're ending here and saying like, if you're playing standard, that I think I think step there's there's two things from this, and I I believe in it. It's you better either find the best version of a deck with these cards, or you better find the best way to attack them because like. It's pretty shocking to see Dream Trawler at the top of all three of your decks. Also, when I played with Dream Trawler, it was kind of messed up. And I think a lot of other people are thinking that Dream Trawler's messed up. And you know me, Brad. I I, I like a good old uh, mid-range deck just as much as you, but Dream Trawler's really bringing me back to what uh, Teferi, uh, Teferi Hero of Dominaria would do back in the Esper Control days, uh, right before Red Black uh, rotated out of standard. It's uh, It's doing things for me. Yeah. yeah, I mean the card is just super good. I think yeah. the I, I think the one two punch of Dream Trawler and Elspeth Conquers Death is is going to be a, a big hill to climb for decks in standard because yeah. Dream Trawler already has protection itself from most ways that you would that you would kill it, and then the, the few ways to kill a Dream Trawler beyond that are things like uh, like Edict effects or Wrath effects. Yeah. Um. Like, uh, what's the Rakdos Edict effect? I I can't think of the name right now. Priest of the Forgotten Gods. No. Nah, well, that's one of them, but also the one that where they sacrifice a Planeswalker artifact or creature. Angrass uh, Rampage. Angrass Rampage. Uh, you know, or or just like sweeper effects are, are the best way to kill a Dream Trawler. But Elspeth who conquer Elspeth conquers death. Um, kind of punishes yeah. that because you just get, can get your Dream Trawler back and without having to put mana into it as well. So. I don't exactly. know. It, it seems like a tough hill to climb for decks to be able to beat both of these cards, and I'm not sure how to do it or yeah, the way to do it. It might be to go under it, which that also seems tough to do, or it might be to 
um, find a way to go over it, which Hydroid Crisis to me sounds like maybe the better way, to, best way to try to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I yeah. assume this uh, Can I just make uh, one point, bro? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, okay, so that's one thing that you said, BBD, um, about protecting against edict effects. That's why I really love Esper Hero the most is because you have Hero to generate these 1-1s one -one so you're not vulnerable to the edict effects. And then to deal with ways to mass remove it, like Wrath effects, you have the Hand Disruption and then you have the Dovin's Vetoes late game. That's why I love this kind of shell. And then you have the Othakaya's, you know, to gain you some life to get you to the late game to be able to take over. Well, I also think that Esper Hero has the best answer to the pinch that Brian just described of Dream Trawler plus El um, Elspeth Conquers Death. Mm -hmm. It has access to Consecrate Consume, which actually fights both sides of that card or both of those cards. Consecrate can exile the target of Elspeth's third chapter and Consecrate can ki actually kill the card. So I'll read, I'll read the card for anyone that doesn't remember. This is from, uh, the second, not return, not the Ravnica, the Guild's Allegiance or whatever. I don't. Ravnica Allegiance. Ravnica Allegiance. Ravnica Allegiance. Consecrate the first half is colorless and then white black hybrid. Exile target card from a graveyard draw card instant. Consume the other side is two white black sorcery. Target player sacrifices a creature with the greatest power among creatures that they control. You gain life equal to its power. So... This is an edict effect against Dream Trawler, and it's a exile effect against Elspeth Conquer's death. It's also wow. it's also a cycle in the early game if if you want it to be if your opponent has a card in the graveyard. So I actually think that yeah, I think this card is like like luckily for you know like as I'm a firm believer that you know wizards as long as they check a bunch of boxes of like random effects that can like fix things. That even if they're not used for like their their specific intended purpose, we might use them. And I think Consecrate Consume is just a perfect, like right now, I just think that this card should see play. I think it should yeah. see play as well, yeah. but I think it's a pretty underwhelming answer to the Dream Trawler because, um, well, number one, Consume is not a guarantee to hit Dream Trawler. Uh, they could have Nissa Lands or Atris or a number of other cards that also have three power. Mm -hmm. But and it is an instant, right? No, it's no, a sorcery. It's, it's a sorcery. Oh, because I was gonna say you could wait till their draw step, and, and then, then it'd be a sure thing. And then but. consecrate um, is a good answer to Elspeth Conquer's death, but like if you don't have a way to get the Dream Trawler into the graveyard in the first place, then how are like then there's no value in consecrate, and you would have to draw like two copies of the card, like one to consume Dream Trawler, and then a later one to consecrate it out of the graveyard, and that's kind of asking a lot. I mean, I, well, I I agree that the card has value, but it, it seems like it seems almost like a night uh night of autumn level thing where it's like I'm not sure if 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 having utility oh, is worth the price you pay for it. Yeah, oh, honestly, and, and, and we don't know the answer to that, but also threats beat answers, and you know, Elspeth Conquers Death is both, and that's why these cards are good. Also, Nissa yeah. Ban has its own problems. This isn't going to be a good card there, but like you know that. I'm I'm assuming that the blue white or the Esper deck are better against aggressive decks than the Bant deck that plays Crasis and Dream Trawler. You know, like that's magic. It's 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 self-correcting, ever flowing. We have you know, there's three decks that might have good or bad matchups in different ways. But I think the end result and the takeaway from this episode is I still don't know how jury duty feels. We are better than the modern <laughs> Masters podcast. And Dream Trawler and Elspeth Conquers Death is great. I and like it. 
And we've assassinated Corey's character. Let's not forget. Oh, that. yes, yeah. that is for sure. Like Corey canceled himself with his own podcast. The yeah. End. Yeah. Hate to see yep. it, but love to watch it. Yeah. Hate to see it, but love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have established myself as a mag episode. So, yep. Sounds good. It does sound like a mag episode now. All right. Um, Moving forward, let's talk about our schedule. So, Corey, you are going to GP New Jersey this weekend. Oh, such such good times, such good memories at GP New Jersey. But unfortunately, I won't be running it back because I am playing limited. So, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect great things, but I will be cracking a sealed in uh, uh, in New Jersey. Yeah, I wish I was going there too, but Wizards went back on the Grand Prix thing, so I will not be going. I'm pretty excited though. This set has been a blast to play. I've been really loving standard too. So I haven't gotten a ton of time to test, but everything I have played so far, I'm just a blast. You guys got any tips for uh, aspiring limited? Uh... I mean, we can, we can talk about that behind the scenes, but this ain't a limited podcast. And so we're not going to start, but I've been <laughs> drafting a ton and I, I have, I, I mean, I can definitely give you answers on certain cards. I haven't played sealed. Yeah. So there's probably going to be a few differences. Like I'm guessing for example, like because it's sealed, you don't get to control your draws. So random cards like or your pulls. So random cards like Oath of the Hunt, which is the green flash enchantment, is much mm-hmm. better in this format. So you can splash your better cards. Whereas like it's only when I pull really good cards that I want to play Oath of the Hunt in in draft, you know? Yeah, I think I'll just go listen to limited resources for this one, bro. Well, fuck you too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Brad has a lot of Brad has a lot of limited resources at his disposal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, you're going there, and then you're playing Richmond. Then you're then we're gonna meet up in Portland, right? Or in Phoenix? Uh, Phoenix. Yep, yep, yeah. No? So playing. Oh um, no, I booked a flight to Portland. No, oh, no. shit. <laughs> Yeah, limited to that's, standard that's funny to because Pioneer. I, that's funny that he said I booked a flight to Portland because I sent Brian my itinerary that he is going to copy about a month ago, and I can guarantee he is still yet to book his flight. Uh, wrong. Did book my flight. Get fucked. <laughs> when did you book it? Uh, I booked it either last week or two weeks ago. Wow, I can't even believe it. Was it still like 200 bucks? Uh, it was high 200s, I think. Damn, so- I... I mean, I'm I'm actually glad because oftentimes I will book something and schedule something. Brian will wait a while and then he'll get it for cheaper than me. Yeah, I booked mine like two months ago and mine was 200 from Roanoke. Whoa. What? Yeah, yeah. My That's flight was so insanely lucky. cheap. Yeah. yeah. I booked it a long time ago. I booked basically everything for season one up through July, just like week one and just dropped, you know, a bunch of money. But now I just have like eight flights. You dropped nice. a bunch of bombs. I dropped a bunt. Whoa, not with the airlines, dude. Can't correspond to those. <laughs> my bad, my bad. Yeah, TSA already is all up on me when yeah, I go Yeah, you in know they're listening. Based on magic cards, they you think those are already bombs, so. <laughs> you know the TSA is listening to this podcast, too, looking for any excuse to detain us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Kidding. And then, yeah, Brian and I's next event will be in Phoenix. And then after that, uh, we've got something exciting happening, but we will let you know after that is finalized. Wait, do I know? Probably not. Maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but I think that's going to do it for this week for the Bachelors podcast. I'm going to take a relaxer because I have been stuck getting up super early and spending all day in a courtroom. And even though you don't do anything or like that, not that much, it's just tiring waiting around. It's it's better to work than to just sit around bored. Yeah. Oh, same, same. I am uh, definitely uh, 
ADD personality where I just can't stand to just sit still and like watch three shows. Like I need to be doing something. <laughs> Say no. <laughs> <laughs> I've right, seen well your that, wow hours, BBD. I know you can chill. So that concludes our episode of the Bachelors podcast. So, uh, like always, we must con- we must thank our cast and crew for being a part of the show. Yeah. If you would like to be on our cast and crew, you can do so by going to our Patreon and becoming a five dollar. Uh, subscriber that money goes to the uh, production value of the show moving forward which means like we'll get better but that's not true we won't get better but we'll continue paying our director yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, nothing nothing will improve we'll hopefully get better master debaters yes we we will we will get a better master debater but until then we are stuck with this pos Uh, brian ship us off i heard duifton was not available so good luck getting someone better all yeah. right, yeah. Yeah. so we got uh, we got a special thanks to EJ Wren, who is Corey's down player. Um, in fact, EJ had a uh, big influence on this particular episode of the Bash Bros podcast. So. Yeah, so not we, a not we a were fan. thinking about you know hi- hyping up Corey and being like Corey knows his shit. Instead, we ruined his career. Right. Yeah, and that was um, EJ's decision. Really not cool with EJ, but yeah, yeah. But who I am cool with is. Paul Krasinski. I know that's not his last name, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Can't be correct. <laughs> yeah, now, there's Krasinski. a C in there. Yeah. Cannot be possibly be correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but Paul is BBD's wall staring photographer. So if you've ever seen a picture of Brian staring at walls on social media, Paul took that picture. He did not, but he will in the future. No, he won't. Yeah, and speaking of seeing people, Daniel Russell is uh, Brad's international document consultant. So if you've never seen Brad in Europe, that's Daniel's fault right there. He has not been keeping him up Brad today. Daniel. <laughs> All right, we got uh, Spoon Tongue, BBD's hairstylist. I like to think Spoon, accurate representation. Head is so shiny, it reflects off of the spoon. That's all I was going to say it tongue. is so shiny you could eat off of it with a spoon. I thought he was going to say your head looked so do good I, he'd put I, his tongue on you, it. Would you like me to eat off your head with a spoon or a tongue, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where you use the spoon at first, then when you get down to the bottom, you have to use the tongue <laughs> to get the rest of it out of there. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, our viewers aren't sleeping tonight. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. Tom Wilkinson is our on-call Sultai correspondent, but we haven't needed to use him ever since they printed a blue white Baneslayer angel. Mm-hmm. So, Tom, yeah. we might have to contact you in our discord to maybe change your uh to update you actually you know what i'm gonna update you right now all right thank you for our cast and crew tom wilkinson is our on-call esper correspondent <laughs> all right he's a true hero it sounds like oh yeah <laughs> all and right we then we need got a hero we truly do we truly do and david watt is not that hero this is our special guest screener and let's just say he fucks it up a lot <laughs> He yeah, got LSV is. right, really. That was a home run. But other than that, it's been uh, been pretty iffy. Yeah, uh, da- David has been uh, phoning it in for quite some time. Fortunately, yeah. he's under my purview and will not lose his job. All right, we got Victor Beauchamp. I'm going to butcher that one. Um, he's the executive producer. Uh, actually, probably an unnecessary position now that Corey's been canceled. So... Yeah, still on the payroll, not necessary anymore. So, so does that make Victor the ex the executive of Bradducer? Yeah, he's he he might become the executive <laughs> Bradducer at this point. Right. Yeah. So mm. next up, we got Symbol, the executive waste management operator. I don't have a joke, so Corey, 
Talk about the next person. All right, absolutely. <laughs> then we got Rabid Chicken, one of our good friends, who is the vice president of video operations. A so very... when you're sick of listening to us, just know that Rabid Chicken can get you to watch us. Well, he he's he's next to the president. He doesn't quite have that kind of control, Brad, but he's getting there. He's in training. That's great. Well, he will yeah. be once our president has been impeached. Yeah. <laughs> our president Political. has already been impeached, just hasn't been removed from office via the Senate vote. Did you hear that our president <laughs> is not afraid of getting impeached because he has all the evidence and they don't? All right. Rabbit Chicken doesn't have any of that evidence himself. No, he's only no. the vice president. All right. We also have, in honor of Brad Nelson, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, Gear Mjeld. Probably wrong. <laughs> Did we uh, say Majeldi? No, I did not. I should have said. I fucking love Majeldi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, assistant to the assistant regional manager. Uh, oh, 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 oh! I'll make my joke just just so y'all know. Are you allowed to say this? I want to make sure you're allowed to I, say this. I am this. like ninety nine percent sure I'm allowed to say this. Okay, I just wanted to be sure. Wow. My judge was Michael Scott. No His name way. was Michael Scott. And so all day I was calling myself one of Scott's tots. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Unreal. You can't write that shit. Yeah. Uh, right, actually, so you can write. Yeah, it's pretty easy you can to write, write that. It, yeah. Yeah. It's called The Office. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so final, last but not least, we got Andreas Hume, Hammond, who is our Richmond gas station scouter. This is mm. for any time that you need to dump something off. Maybe yeah. your memory of this episode of the podcast. Right. You mm -hmm. can find the perfect gas station in Richmond through Andreas Hammond. I got to ask one question, Brad. What does the scouter say about his power level? Fuck, I don't know that. What? It's over 9,000! Yes! Yes! <laughs> I was hoping one of the reference. two of you would know. I, I did not expect What's it to the be scouter? The scouter that the Ginyu Force would wear to track the the Super Saiyan powers, and then it would like break in his eye, and he's like, "Oh my God, Kakarot's over nine thousand! It's, it's it's from Dragon Ball Z. It's like an old school meme that has persisted for through decades. Yeah, oh, I have oh, a cause. Oh, I have we a can edit this part out while they talk about that. That's great to hear. Okay, all right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the latest episode of the Bash Bros Podcast. We'll be back again next week where we don't talk about stupid animes. Bye. Don't, don't promise what you can't.